If we understand that desire is a feeling, and we understand that feelings can be changed through indirect means, and that indirect means is applying a change to our value system, we can begin to have a handle on dealing with desire. This is Nita Erlene, and you are listening to the TRC Ministries Podcast. Today we are back with part two of our series, Dealing with Desire. As believers, we are connected to the source that is life, Jesus Christ, and we have the resources to deal with desire appropriately. But the time to strategize and act comes before we are being tempted and in the middle of a situation. Here is Tori Bjorkland, president of TRC Ministries, in a recording from Caravan Fellowship, teaching about the nature of desire, the interconnectedness of the human will, mind, and feelings, and what the solution is to overcoming ungodly desires. James chapter 1, verse 14. I'll just go ahead and, and read it. James chapter 1, verse 14 and 15. Actually, both of them. He says, uh, But each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. Then when lust has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. So, a little bit of a pop quiz here. What is my working definition of lust that we talked about last week? So, a desire for something wrong. That's the simple working definition for lust. And so, what you see here is that lust begins with desire. Where does desire come from? It's our, it's our value system, and so what we find, and we'll talk about this a little bit more real shortly, I hope, um, is that there's several sources that influence that, but it's really our value system. Our desires are our value system. So here we have desire. It is within. Remember? Desire is within. Temptation is what? It's the opportunity to fulfill a desire that is wrong. And James is pointing out, as it starts with our desires, a desire for something that is wrong, which is a lust. So when opportunity comes along, that brings up temptation. And when you set your heart on that, when you become preoccupied with that, and this is, by the way, when Jesus talked about looking on a woman, it's not just with lust, but looking on a woman for the purpose of lusting is really what that concept is that he was putting forward in the terms that, uh, that he used. There's a concept of intent or a purpose of lusting. And so that's really the idea of heart on that desire that brings about the sin. And so that's the whole process. That's why James said that when lust conceives, it gives birth to sin. There's a process. And you obviously can't separate that, but there's a flow that occurs, and it starts with our desire. Now, we talked a little bit about God leading people or not leading people into temptation. Just the verse before that, what does he say? He says that, that, let no one say when he's tempted, I'm being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone. He allows temptation. We know that Jesus taught his disciples to ask God not to lead them into temptation. We know that the Holy Spirit led Jesus into the desert to be tempted. But who did the tempting? It wasn't God. So we can be led by God into temptation. And why is that? I believe it's to reveal to us 
what is in us in the form of desire. So this is a point that I want to make, is that our desires that are within us are often very well hidden and until the opportunity arises, a compromising situation, we may not even be that we have those desires. Have you ever experienced that? This is what Paul said. You remember what Paul said in Romans 7? He said, I didn't understand about coveting until I didn't even realize I had coveting within me until I became aware of the law that said, thou shalt not covet. And suddenly, I found it all over in me. By the way, that word covet is the exact same word that James used here for lust. Same word that Jesus used for lust. It's what Paul used. Okay, so the question is, if it's a good thing to have our evil desires or our bad revealed, why would we be instructed to ask God not to lead us into temptation, right? And I think that that's probably a more difficult question than I'll be able to answer. However, we know that both are true. We know that Jesus did instruct his disciples and, and, and by extension us to pray not to be led into temptation. However, we also know that James says, consider it all joy when you encounter various trials and temptations, various difficulties. And by the way, that term temptation, biblically, it does not mean what we tend to think of as temptation. It means to test by experiment. It means to prove by experiment. That is the term that was used in the Greek. To prove by experiment. And we don't think of temptation like that, do we? But what is it proving by experiment? It's proving our character or what, our, what is our desire system. In order to understand the role that desire has and the problem of desire, I think that we need to understand the nature of man. Now, we've seen this slide before, but I want to go back over it again. We need to understand how we function and the effect desire has on us. So we need to ask this question, I think, how can we use our God-given nature to overcome desire? And by understanding how God has made us and the role of things like will and, and other aspects of the person have, we need to understand how we're built. And I think the word overcome here, where I said we need to ask the question, how can we use our God-given nature to overcome desire? I think overcome is really the proper word in this, in this battle, if you will, with desire. Because it's my experience, and I think your experience will concur with this, that Desire has a hold on us, and sometimes it may seem compels us to conform to its will rather than our own. Have you ever felt that way? That desire sometimes is counter to our own will. And how can that be if it's coming from within us? And so I think we need to understand this dynamic. So I want to first start by reminding us what will is. Our will is the power to initiate or create choice. It's, it's, it's the power to choose something, okay? And this can include initiating our, or originating our thoughts, okay? This is, I think, an important connection that we want to make. And we'll talk a little more about that in the next slide, I think, too. So our will is what makes us valuable to God. It's what makes us valuable to God and accountable to God. 
It's also what can, because of our value, can break God's heart. So this is the core of who we are, the position of the being that we are in our center. Okay? It is our God-given, God-patterned spiritual self that makes us an individual, unique human being. Let me say that again. It is this, the fact that we are spiritual, that we have the ability to choose. That's one and the same thing. That we are given this by God. It is that which is God-patterned. This is what, what God was referring to when he said, let us make man in our own image. He made man as a spiritual being, as God is a spiritual being. And it is that spiritual self that makes us individual, unique human being. Okay, so in my, my assertion here is that the Bible, when it's speaking of heart, it's speaking of the location of the will. When it's speaking of spirit, it's speaking about the, the fundamental nature of the person that has a will. And when it's speaking of will, it's speaking of the ability or power to choose. Okay? So this is the target the will, the person, our heart. He intends to transform our heart, our will, our spirit. Spiritual transformation is God's intention. This is what he intends to redeem. This is what will go to heaven. This part of us. This is what he intends to reconcile to himself, our will. That the will of God be done here on earth in us, just as it's being done in heaven. So this is why he looks upon it, why he judges us by it, why he wants to purify it in love. So let me say here that solutions that are offered to overcome desire centered in the will. This is a problem. Why is this a problem? Well, because there is a problem with the human condition. And that problem is that this spirit, which is non-physical, fundamentally non-physical, is not a living spirit. Now, we've talked about this in the past. What is life? Teleonomy. What is teleonomy? It's a system that functions with goal-directedness that takes outside resources and utilizes it for inside purposes. Right? Okay? And so when we start talking about, so if you think, you know, relating that back to, say, plant life, photosynthesis is a indication of teleonomy. That's what teleonomy is, photosynthesis. We have a metabolism. Our physical body is alive when, our, when we are metabolizing. When we're not metabolizing, we're not alive. Spiritually, we have a condition that does not allow us to take the spiritual resources of God and apply them into our life until he places that life within us. That teleonomy, that interaction with the resources of God for the purpose of our spiritual well-being only comes to us through Jesus Christ. When we have that life, that's when the transformation of this being can occur. So it's not a matter of bucking up. It's not a matter of choosing differently. 
unless we're talking about choosing Jesus. Unless we're talking about choosing to align ourselves with God, allowing him to have that opportunity to place his life within us. Okay, so without a conversion from being dead, as the Bible says, in our sin and, and trespasses, to being alive in Christ, there will be no transformation that is of any significance. So everything I present here will start with the presupposition that life occurs in the individual that we're talking about, okay? So I don't want to come across as if the solution is to will to change or to try harder. The solution is to have life and to allow the resources of the spiritual life in Christ Jesus to have the intended effect on the spiritual being. Okay? That doesn't tell you much, right? It just tells you the beginning, but how do you do that? That's what I want to talk about. All right, so now we get to the mind. We have the will here we just talked about. Now, oftentimes, we get a little bit confused about the mind. So we break up our mind into two different areas. In fact, some people don't think of it as two different areas of the mind, but thoughts and feelings. We often separate those as if they are not related. And in fact, just think about this. We often think of will actually connected to being logical. Just make that decision, carry it out, etc., etc. And feelings are, are not part of the mind. There are something separate. And there's, there's many models that people put forward as that. But when you, when you begin to really think about it, what you find is that, that thoughts and feelings are entirely inseparable. They're completely inseparable. And let me offer as evidence of that my wife. She will have a dream. And in that dream, I will be, uncharacteristic to myself, I might add, a jerk. <laughs> and uncharacteristic to reality, she wakes up having observed my jerkness, and guess what? She's angry. Why is she angry? Well, because I was being a jerk. Now, there's a connection right there. If she didn't think that I had been a jerk, she would not be angry at with me. As a matter of fact, if you think about what anger is, just, just think for a minute about what is it that makes you angry. Unmet expectations from who? It, yeah, exactly. From, from somebody else, often. Sometimes I get angry with myself, but most often I'm angry with somebody else because they are crossing my will. They are opposing my will. They are, as Neil Anderson would say, they're blocking my goal. I have my will in place, in headed in a direction, and somebody is not concurring with my will, I get angry about it. Or something. Thoughts and feelings are in the area of our mind. They come together. Okay? So the mind is often broken into these two aspects, and sometimes it's separated, like I said, as if they're not even related. But they, they really are indistinguishable with our will when you think about it. It's just like, how do you separate this out? So one thing I want to point out is that we're talking about areas of the individual. It's not like you can dissect the areas and they operate independent of each other. 
It just can't be done. We are a whole person. But understanding the role and where to apply our energies, efforts, uh, thoughts, and, and prayers, uh, I think is helpful. And so anyway, we think of our will as logical, don't we? When in fact, more often than not, our will is simply giving in to our feelings. More often than not, our will is just simply giving in to our feelings, not to our thoughts. So our th will is not always logical. We think of our mind that same way. We actually act more often on how we feel, either refusing to think or ignoring the thoughts that we have that are contrary to our feelings. Is that not your experience? Often give in to our feelings, ignoring what we think or refusing to think about it. Paul describes this process in Romans 7. Remember, 7.15, 4. What I'm doing, I do not understand, for I'm not practicing what I would like to do, but I am doing the very thing I hate. Now, if you're doing the very thing you hate, what are you acting on? Thoughts or feelings? Okay, let's say this, desire. Opinions? So what happens is we find that these three aspects of us are so closely intertwined, we have a hard time sorting it out, don't we? We have a hard time understanding why we do some of the things that we do. I want to just give a little more flesh to this dilemma before I try to offer a way of, of looking that might help us with it. So here's the dilemma. We choose based on what we think and feel at the time. Okay, Will is affected and even limited by what we think. So for example, let me give you an example. The, the proverb says that the prudent sees or perceives evil or danger, some translations say. And what? And does what? He hides himself. Okay? So we make the choice to hide when we're prudent when we see danger or evil on its way. Right? So it's that knowledge, that understanding, that perception that influences the way that we choose. Okay, so that's, that's one direction. Our mind is affecting our will. Okay, okay so we act based on our perception. Now, the, the problem is that we also often think only what we allow ourselves to think. And we feel what we allow ourselves to feel. Now, many times you will find that you want to change the way you feel and you can't do that. And so it seems like it's outside of our ability to choose how we feel. And I, I want to address that in just a little bit. But it's true, as I mentioned, that our feelings are generated by what we think. We think somebody disrespected us. And so how do we feel? Either hurt or angry or superior <laughs> or something because... We think that's what's going on. And maybe if it, well, even if it wasn't going on, it's based on what we think. Okay? So we think what we wish to think. We feel what we wish to feel. The mind then is also dependent on the will. So the will is dependent on the mind, and the mind is dependent on the will. So for example, in Romans 1, humankind and individuals, they refused to have God in their thinking. They refused to acknowledge him as God. They refused God in their thinking. This 
is the biblical concept of us choosing what we think. So our will affects our thoughts and our feelings. Our thoughts and feelings affect our will. And so we find ourselves in this catch-22. So where do we start? Do we, as Romans 12.2 says, renew the mind? Or as James 4.8 says, purify our hearts. You double-minded. Where do you start? And how do you do it? So we find ourselves in this catch-22. I want to remind us now, I want to come back to this just as a reminder, what is desire? Desire is a feeling. Desire is a feeling. If desire is a feeling, how do we change our feelings? Have you ever tried to change your feelings? Naomi, when you wake up and you're angry with me because of something that didn't actually happen, how do you feel? <laughs> like it actually did happen. Have you ever changed the way you're feeling right now? Have you been successful at it? Only if you change the way you look at it. Feelings are not directly accessible to our will. We can't change the way we feel, but we can change the way we think. And sometimes it's difficult to do on the immediate basis. And so the solution to overcoming desire is to start with the way you think at the macro scale, at the overall way that you see things. And I'll come back to this slide about the influences on desire. I asked earlier, where does desire come from? Desire is a feeling. Desires are formed by how we think. Desires, think about what is a desire. A desire is an aspiration or a longing for something. You can aspire to be wealthy. You can aspire to be famous. You can aspire to be godly. This is what desire is. It's an aspiration, but it's not only an aspiration, right? It's a, it can be a longing, okay? They're formed by many factors, but basically all those factors lead down or boil down to our thoughts. So let's take, for example, the basic desire for food. If we say, because we just talked about that and said, wait a minute, if it's but what we think, if you're really, really thirsty and you need your body needs water, is it, is it just a matter of your opinion? Is it your thoughts? Is it your value system that says you need water? Well, I was watching a TV show, and you guys know, I, well, not everybody here knows. I'll just tell you, if I spit on my own toothbrush, it's got to get cleaned. I, I just take it out of my mouth. Now, I know this is not sane behavior. I just take it out, I rinse it off, I spit, sometimes, oops, I spit on my toothbrush. That can't go back in my mouth. Okay, it's a hang-up that I have. I see somebody spit in the pool, I'm out of the pool. Okay, I was watching a TV show, uh, a Western, and this guy is very thirsty and he needs water, and his arch rival has water, and he's going to give him water, and he takes the ladle and he drinks some of his water and then he puts it in front of the man and then he spits in it and hands it to him. So let me ask you a question. Based on my value system, what's the likelihood that I'm going to drink that water? It depends how thirsty you are, right? So 
First and foremost, our value system comes into it. And there's a point at which there's some truth to, um, who's the guy that had the triangle? Maslow's triangle. There's a point at which, I don't agree with his basic philosophy, but there's a point of value in what he says that when you get down to your basic needs and there's nothing else left, what you think begins the door. But I will submit to you that that is at the point of near death. And the point of Jesus Christ is to even make that go away. Do you understand what I mean? When Jesus was faced with, with saving his own life, or Peter, or Paul, or any of those others that were faced with that, the transformation of the Spirit of God that, that the Spirit had done in them removed even that point of desire so that their thought system, their value system, even overrode the preservation of their personal being, physical being. Okay, let me make another example of this. Dave, would you be enticed by raw iguana today? When we got downstairs and you saw that on the buffet, would, you would not be interested in that. Well, why is that? Well, how about this? Black beans and tortillas. You're starting to regain an appetite for those. A few weeks ago, you would not have had it. You would have been repulsed by that. Why? Why is that? Even things as simple as food and water are influenced by our value system. And what was, why not black beans and tortillas? Because of your experience that you recently had while you were experiencing black beans and tortillas. And so my point is that there is a lot of interconnectedness with all of this, but the bottom line is that the solution for overcoming desire is a, a large solution. Not The time to deal with desire is not at the time that you are experiencing temptation. Now, there's times that you have to deal with that, but to be able to successfully go through temptation starts by forming a value system that affects the power of that desire. By forming a value system that affects the power of that desire. If we understand that desire is a feeling, and we understand that feelings can be changed through indirect means, and that indirect means is applying a change to our value system, we can begin to have a handle on dealing with desire. So I said desire is a feeling. How do we change our feelings? Will does not directly control feelings. Our feelings are a result of our thoughts, and hopefully I've made that point. But my earlier point was that thoughts are dependent on our will. Our will is dependent upon our thoughts and desire er, and feelings. And so you end up with this catch-22 again. So I want to point out this, this slide right here. This is the conflicted condition that we often find ourselves in. This goes back to Jeremiah 17.9. Anybody memorize Jeremiah 17.9? The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Who can understand the heart? So where do we start? Do we renew our mind? Do we purify our heart? And basically, 
I want to point out, here's what we find ourselves in often. And this is, this is not intended to be the end of the Christian experience. This is a common Christian experience. But let me tell you, if you take comfort in the fact that Paul experienced this when he was talking about the effect of the law on him, but you don't recognize the answer to his question of who will deliver me from the, this body of death, if you don't recognize his answer to that, that he did have an answer to that, you will be stuck in this process here. And this is your conflicting. What is it? We have conflicting desires. We, and what, let me just specifically say what those are. We have a desire to be good. The fact of the matter is, everybody really does have a desire to be good. Unless you're very, very, very sick. You know, what, I don't, can't remember what they, a psychopath or something like that. However, this is where the conflict comes in. Also a desire to get my way. And this is why Jesus said, unless you give up your life, you cannot be my disciple. Or he who seeks to save his life will lose it. Why? What is your life? Your life is you in control of fulfilling the needs of, of getting the resources that you need to remain alive. What is your only option? You only have the option to feed your physical life. Without God, you have to, that's the only option. And so if you desire to be good, but you are unwilling to give up having your way, you find yourself in a conflict. That conflict then leads to deception. It always leads to deception. Why? Because we're trying to fulfill both desires, to get my way and to look good while I'm doing it. I want Greg to think I'm a good person, even as I'm stealing from him or whatever it is that I want to do that is in my own way. And so that brings about, that's where deception comes from. Deception comes from a conflicting desire. You will not lie about having robbed that bank if you did, if your desire is to be perceived as an awesome bank robber. If your desire is to be perceived as an upright and honest person and you rob a bank, you will lie about robbing that bank. Well, there might be other reasons for lying as well, but you won't lie to your buddies about it if you want to be perceived as a bank robber. And so what ends up happening is we get trapped in this desire versus being known. What do I mean by that? Deception is our way of hiding the desires we don't want to be known by. And it becomes a trap. And this trap causes us to be helpless. And oftentimes our pride conceals that desire. In the worst case, it conceals it even from ourselves, And this is why in the first step of AA and Celebrate Recovery and so forth, it is trying to get a person to get away from their denial and face the situation that they are actually in. If I'm trying to hide my evil desires because I want to be perceived as being good, I will become deceived or I will become a deceiver or both. Often both. And that's where, as Romans talks about, we end up in insanity. Romans chapter 1. 
This is where we end up. So the solution to breaking this cycle is to stop the deception. The solution to breaking this cycle is to stop the deception. Admit to yourself, to God, and to somebody else where you're at. Kill this, the fear of being known. God knows you. When you begin that, that's the very, very first step, is it removes the block that you have put into place for God's spirit to change the way you think. You see, because in that point of deception, you cannot change how you think if you refuse to admit you think that way. Do you understand what I'm saying? The thoughts that bring about those evil desires are thoughts that you must own as your thoughts. You will not be renewed in your mind until you face those thoughts as being your thoughts. Shine the light of Christ on them and allow him to be the one to deal with those. So next week we'll pick up here and say what the target is. If we know the target is a unified wholeness within ourselves, rather than that back and forth, a unified wholeness within ourself that unifies our will, our thoughts, our feelings, and even our body, that's the objective. That's where we want to go. Father, I thank you that you have loved us too much to leave us in the condition in which you found us. And I think of how the, the prophet Ezekiel used the analogy of you finding Israel, and I think we can fit into this, naked and bloody, cast off in a field, unwanted and abused. And you have taken us, but not left us in that state. You want to clean us up. You want to give us the precious promises. You want to give us the unfathomable riches in Christ Jesus. To dress us well, to place upon us the signature of your belonging. And I pray that you will help us to come clean with you as who we are. And allow you to take who we are and to remove those things that are in conformance to your will from our life. Help us to know how to do that. Give us the courage to do that. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening in today. Our vision at TRC Ministries is to see individuals fulfill their calling under the authority of the church, using the resources of the kingdom of God. If you enjoyed this podcast, make sure to subscribe so you don't miss any upcoming episodes. And for more information on TRC Ministries or to contact us, go to www.regenerationcenter.org.